this is Pastor Matt at North Plinko Baptist Church. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. We hope you guys enjoy. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome to another episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. And last week we had to stop in the middle of 11, so let's back up. Uh, this is uh, John has taken us kind of out of the timeline that we had before we jumped into um, the strange eating of the book and the sour on the stomach. We talked through all that. Uh, then John was given a measuring staff. Uh, we we kind of shift to the front of the, the tribulation. Uh, John is in Jerusalem. He's measuring stuff out, and we see meet the, the two witnesses. Um, you can listen to that podcast. Uh, to, we, we don't know who they are. It's not important, but what we see is two people who are faithfully preaching God's word, able to stop the rain, uh, able to cause plagues. Uh, they... Uh, preach the gospel from that 144,000 get saved. Those 144,000 go out and preach the gospel and a number that cannot be counted end up uh, turning to Christ. We've seen that from through kind of through that timeline. We're piecing it back together. And then we stopped um, last week with uh, the second woe has passed and behold, the third woe is yet to come. And so we've seen the, the first woe ended after, uh, after the, the vials, uh, I'm sorry, the trumpets. Uh, now, after the two witnesses have, have stopped up the sky so that it doesn't rain, that second woe has passed, and uh, a third is yet to come. So we're two-thirds of the way through uh, the destruction. Yeah, and then we roll right into uh, that last trumpet being sounded here. Uh, as, as we wrap as we wrap up these seven trumpets and move on into uh, what comes in, in the next coming weeks, some really interesting and, and going to be some fun conversations. But you got to wrap this up with the end of chapter eleven here. And, and I'm glad actually that we uh, gave ourselves a little time today because chapter eleven opens up. Uh, a line of thinking and a line of discussion that we really need to kind of park at to to flesh it out. And so it's good that we, we have a little extra time where we're not trying to figure out what this represents and that represents. And we can kind of back up into some questions that uh, at least for the last three or 4,000 years people have asked yeah. and that are answered here. And so Let's get started. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is yet to come. And the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now that is a statement. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot there. there, there there's, a, there's a lot that's happening here. Uh, a whole lot, yes. So let's let's talk about... The difference between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, and uh, we, we can talk. Uh, we, if we, you could just go ahead and explain to me the difference between God's permissive will and um, His. <laughs> I actually had me and my uh, another youth pastor friend were literally texting just a few minutes ago, and we're talking about. He said, "He said, hey, I'm, I'm real secure in my salvation, but there's just sometimes I have some really deep questions." And he said, "I was, re- he was reading a book and asking all these things, and it was." It, it, he said, and this comes down to a lot of things. If if we know we know and believe God's perfect, that God is Almighty, that God is all knowing, 
man, he said, sometimes I look at my problems. Why didn't he just fix all this in the beginning and I and stop me from having to go through all the nonsense that I deal with? He said, if it was perfect in the get-go, man, whether I was involved or not, just keep it that way. Just like, man, like for <laughs> with all the other stuff just seems like, just seems like a lot of trouble. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know what? That really is the cry of Romans 7. Yeah. Where, where we see that... Uh, God is just as sovereign over our sanctification as he is our, our justification in that uh, when we, we see Jesus, we're going to be like him because mm-hmm. we will see him as he is. Mm-hmm. And that frustration of, woe, the wretched man that I am today. I mean, it, uh, just today on Facebook, somebody, uh, one of the, the deacons here in the church posted something that essentially was saying, if I think that I've, I've hosed up God's plan for my life, uh, guess what? He knew I was going to hose it up. Yeah. And so, and you know what? All Christians struggle with that. And, and it's, it really comes down to, uh, and it's all, we're really asking the same question when we say, okay, so if it's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, why don't they? Right. Or uh, the question is kind of posed in the Lord's Prayer. If you remember in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it's the Father's will, why? what is my involvement with that? Why do I have to pray for that? Yeah. Because God's pretty powerful yeah he can kind of do kind of what he wants to do whenever and with through whoever via whatever means just it's kind of like it's kind of that whole god thing he's got going for him. yes yes he is god uh in fact i i had a professor at seminary that that uh taught theology proper and uh he always started every lecture with the number one thing that we have got to learn today is god is god you ain't <laughs> and you could you could just stop then. Like I, really I know you read a lot more papers in that class, but you really could have just said, "Well, y'all have a good rest of the day." There you go. <laughs> we got it. So, if God is God and we ain't, if God is sovereign and everything is in His control, um, why is the kingdom of this world different than the kingdom of Earth? I, I shared in a sermon a few weeks ago. Um, I would say at least. At least once a month, somebody will hit me with this. And and the story that I shared in the sermon was recent enough to where it's still fresh in my mind. I was sitting in a doctor's office, and you know that that time that you always get stuck there, where you're reading the the month old or the year old uh, field and streams or yeah, whatever. Yeah, when I when I was growing up, it was always those really highlights. Thick, it was well, it was highlights, and then like in the kit in the um, in the pediatrics place, it would be this Adventures in the Bible book that was like it was blue and like uh, yeah, really yeah. big. And it was it. like like the like it was all like real seventies picture. It was and like really every strange. seventh page was an order form. <laughs> yeah, where you could get your own. Yeah, where you could order the whole set. <laughs> yes, I know. So yeah, I'm sitting in the doctor's office, and this dude kept eyeballing me from like we're sitting knee to knee but with with some distance between us and he keeps looking at me six feet of distance specifically at least least. uh and finally at some point he goes hey you're the preacher over at that church ain't you and i'm like well that's subjective yes sir yes sir i am i am that preacher and he goes hey i got a question for you and i could tell from his body language his facial expression that he felt like he he had me. Oh right? yeah, he he was waiting for. The, he'd been wait, he'd thought about this. Him and the boys had th- talked about this over coffee. That they he was ready for this question. And he had it ready. For very him. clearly, he had read this in in a, in a Facebook meme or something. And <laughs> and he's like, so if God is all powerful, 
then why does he allow bad things to happen if he's good? And if he's not powerful enough to stop it, then he's not all powerful. And if he doesn't stop it, then he's not good. Yeah. And, and then had this kind of setback with this, ha ha, gotcha. <laughs> um, and I really kind of wanted to grin and say, you realize that that theologians have been dealing with this subject for, for at least 2,000 years. Well, and not worded like that. Like everyone in the history of time ever has deals with this has, has dealt with this struggle so it's i mean thank you for your for your your intuitive thing there big fella but uh <laughs> you and everyone else so i i saw i don't know have you ever watched uh comedians in cars get coffee yeah really good I, yeah. I, that that is a great show to kind of just have on in the background where you're doing other things yeah uh so ann and i were watching comedians in cars get coffee and the the guest uh right around in the car guy was Ricky Gervais mm -hmm. and uh, Ricky Gervais and Jerry Sa and Ricky Gervais uh the, for those of you who don't know who that is that's the guy who was in the British version of the office he was the I think he was the producer of the American office he if, was the yeah. uh, executive producer of the American office so he made lots of bank uh, off of that still is uh he um he's he's done several shows uh, tv shows and he 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 he's the guy who does the golden globes yes every year yes he, and he absolutely just slams Kills it. everybody um so a little vulgar little little over the top but he is a very well-known atheist yeah very loud about it yes very loud about his atheism and very uh um, he, he's actually a very intelligent guy. I mean, yeah. it's just you pick up on that. He he knows he's an intelligent very, guy. Often enough, very loud atheists are usually pretty intelligent people. Like you don't like, very rarely is the conversation. Well, how do you believe in God? No, not really. And there's not really a use. There's not very. There's there's rarely a period like right after that statement. There's usually so much more from an intellectual standpoint. That's Absolutely. usually really smart people. And, and Ricky Gervais would be the definition of that guy who is absolutely certain that there is no God and he hates his guts. Yeah. Uh, and so he's he kind of wears his atheism on his sleeve. And uh, Jerry Seinfeld, as everyone on earth knows, is Jewish. Yeah. And uh, I, I think he's an agnostic. I don't. I mean, he's not a practicing Jew. But right. the very fact that, that he comes from the tribe of the Hebrews made Ricky talk a, a lot about the Holocaust and God. And, and so he actually throws out as a joke— um, he actually led in with a, a joke that um, that he said he had heard that where where these Nazis come in and tell these Jewish people during the Holocaust that hey we were gonna we're gonna hold off on everything for Christmas, and w one of the the Jews who's sitting there says well we don't we don't celebrate Christmas, and and that he that was a that was a funny joke and that led into that made me think of um, why would you pray to the God that watched the Holocaust and did nothing about it. Mm -hmm. And and he, he waxed eloquent about that, and he's like, because clearly in his mind that summed up his atheism, that was the, the unanswerable question, and he kind of mocked anybody. He's like, yeah, so there, there are Christians in America that, that pray to a God to help them find their lost keys, and that God saw the Holocaust occur and didn't do anything about it. Yeah. And so in his mind, uh, that, that proved that there couldn't be a God. Or uh, the same thing that the guy in the doctor's office did. If there is a God, then he's not good, and he's not going to help you find your keys. Mm -hmm. And so, um, again, this is a question that, uh, like you pointed out, probably every human being who's ever lived, who has had 
just a little bit of self-awareness well, and it, and has asked. And it's crazy how some of those things can come on. It can be you just all of a sudden became self-aware in a coffee shop thinking, or you could often, and I'm sure we've seen this a lot at New Ministry, when when people have uh, some sort of tragedy or trauma yes. or loss of life or just something that just completely just kind of rips your heart out kind of moment. It's like, well, you know what? If there's some God that loves me some way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, why would he let this happen? And Absolutely. a lot of times you make them from hurt or from anguish or pain or, or some actual doubt and some concoction of all those things mixed up. Um, but you see this, you, you see this question spur out of a, a lot of different backgrounds of, of, of people uh, who've been let down, quote unquote, let down by God or let down by people who say they believed in God or, or, or things like that. Um, th- th- this question is runs through the mind of, of pretty much every human in some way, shape, form or fashion since the beginning of time it has to sure sure and even believers i I, um i got a call here one sunday evening and uh a a member of this church uh lost their seven-year-old a seven-month seven-day-old child um Mm. and i i met them at the hospital and the hospital looked to me to to tell the family and, uh, of course, they were extremely upset. And the husband um, looked at me and said, why has God let this happen? And I, I said, I can't, I can't answer that question. I don't know what God is doing here, but I know we can trust him and that he is good. And the husband immediately came back at me and said, that's really easy for you to say because you're going to go home to your children. And so we've, we've made a little light of the, the question, but the reality is, is that uh, we've all asked that question one time or the other. Why does God not stop evil? As, we, as you look at human trafficking, you look at rape, you look at murder, you, you look at any crime that's been done against another person that's done out of hatred or anger, you can't help but ask that question. Where is God? And Elie Wiesel in his book, Night, which I would strongly recommend for anyone to read, um, it's a young Jewish man's recounting uh, his time in Auschwitz and, and Birkenwald, uh, and he, there's a, a section where he talks about uh, very eloquently standing in a line and the, the, the chimneys billowing out smoke as people are being cremated. And one pious Jew says to another, where is God? Where can he be now? And so uh, that, that it's not a, a, a question that in our humanity, anyone has not asked. Yeah. Okay, let, let's talk through, through this. And, and ultimately, if we, if we distill it down, the, the question that we normally ask is, why does bad things happen to good people? And that one's kind of easy to answer because you can really quickly point out there's no such thing as a good person. Right. And so the premise of the question is, is a little faulty. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, which deals exclusively with this subject, uh, actually even go so far as to say that the real question as we look at our own hearts that we should ask is not the problem of pain, but the problem of joy. That why does God allow wicked people to experience moments of joy? Why, mm. why do we have pictures of Hitler enjoying a day out throwing a, a ball with his dog um, 
Why did God allow him to enjoy the, the smile of a child or, or the, the, the beauty of a, of a sunrise? Why is he not miserable for doing evil? Yes. And, and why does God not crush him for his evil? Yeah. And so the real question C.S. Lewis uh, posits is the problem of joy, not the problem of pain. We, if we look deeply into our, our own heart and we look at who we really are, we know instinctively that we don't measure up to our own moral standards, much less God's. And so we deserve nothing but wrath. And I, I believe that, but let's set that on one side. The problem of pain really comes down to um, a philosophical question of where do you want God to stop evil? Do you want him to stop it at, at rape? Do you want God to stop it at m- murder? It's still leaving rape. Do you want God? Because if you start looking at your, our scale, um, recognizing that we are evil, then, then it doesn't take long for that scale to overcome us yeah well and then if you just think of like some of the logistical things there like the you know the for for me i don't sit here if i was thinking about yeah you know murder and yeah probably you definitely rape but then i wouldn't say i wouldn't think about you know what about well, what about kids who are starving in third world countries like i think i'm talking like even if we just want to start to talk about the logistical sides of of where that should go and what are all the bad things or what whatever like i wouldn't even be able to sit here and and i, I would I would ignorantly leave out things that would be terrible to experience because I don't experience them. It's almost like I would Americanize that, or right, I, I would right, I would right. middle class Americanize that gauge based off of what I experience and what I think is bad. Which in reality, I'm a lot of us are blessed to to see the people who experience in other countries or even in America. Just just me alone, where I'm at, and blessed enough to not to, to not have to experience a lot of things that other people have to experience is I would Americanize that gauge. And that even shows again, the depravity of me of like, sure. I don't have any experienced anything like other people have. And I just want it the way that I just want it. Right. Right. And so if, if, and so, uh, you know, most people could agree on, on murder, uh, rape. So what, what about adultery? I mean, you'd say, well, that's kind of a, you know, that's, but I have done counseling for, for folks who have, their spouse has committed adultery on yeah. them. And I would say other than the death of a spouse, there are a few things that hurt people more. Well, it's going to hurt any kids that are involved. I mean, it's going to absolutely wreck the lives of those kids. And if there's, and depending on the context of who the, the, the other person in that, in that adultery is, that person has a whole other family. So it's rarely just one family involved. Then you've got in-laws and you've got communities. And I mean, it's just like just that trickle effect in and of itself is going to hit a lot of people. So now we're sliding the scale nearer to ourselves. So yeah. we're starting to feel a little uncomfortable, especially when you consider that Jesus said, if you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. If you lust after someone, you've committed adultery mm-hmm. in your heart now we've just overtaken all of humanity right so you you guys see uh, the listener sees my problem here where is the cutoff for evil because if we say i want god to take all evil out of this world that's going to include me but where is the real bad and where's the uh, you know and he, so he, he was you know, boys will be boys or they'll just do this or whatever you know like again you get the, the more we try to, uh, I guess, compensate for, for evil, the more that we get closer to, oh, well, that's probably going to include me. Yes. And, again, you could take any—that that 13-year-old child whose 
father has lied to them and that's destroying them mm-hmm. and their image of what maleness is and 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 well if you if you take lying so oh, dang yeah i mean it doesn't take long if we start looking at evil to say that's going to overcome me and we recognize the idea of that's God's withholding. He's holding his wrath back. Mm-hmm. And the New Testament and the Old Testament talks a lot about if God corrected all the evil in the world, that would mean taking out humanity. There'd be nobody left. And so now we've got God withholding his wrath for this age of grace while He, the goodness of God should be calling people to repentance. Mm-hmm. And so when you see these when you recognize that and you see these elders saying the kingdom of God is becoming the kingdom of man, that should scare you. That should, that is something to celebrate. Absolutely. And I would even argue that going back to what we said originally, when I'm praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's a prayer also for the heart. And that's praying that I would be functioning the way God wants me to function is what I'm praying for. Yeah, there's this this sense of like absolute certainty and absolute power in just these first statements that are like, okay, this is this is kind of jarring. And even again, which you know, we will find we will as a believer in the age right now, from where we where we're, where this is happening in real time, we'll be in heaven and we'll be part of this whole you know face falling, and we'll talk about that in the next in the next few minutes. Uh, but there, there's just this sense of Everything that's been held back, it, it it's go time. Like the floodgates are open, guys. It's it's go, and there's like this, ooh, like this kind of this is ooh, this this is uh, just the, this this certainty that that this is becoming what God has always intended. And while in the end that's going to be great in these next in, in these next few moments, uh, it's the wrath that's being held back just in my own life, man, that's a lot. That's a lot that's being held. That is, that is a couple, but that's a couple five gallon buckets full well, of being held back. And you know, the imagery that the prophets use of, we are storing up wrath, mm. that wrath upon wrath is being stored. Like God sees the sin and says that deserves punishment, but I'm going to hold that back. There was nothing in my life when I was a kid worse than being at church, acting the fool, and my daddy looking at me and saying, son, when we get home, we're going to deal with this. I just think of this, I just think of this huge, like, piled up garage full of all the junk in in my life that I've ever done. And it's just like, God just going to open the bay doors and it's just going to fall out in pieces. So we're storing humanity, not just just the the dear listener, as as Lewis says, (laughs) humanity is is storing wrath upon wrath upon wrath as God is giving us time to repent, as God is giving us time as a species to do something about it. Because if God dealt with it today, we wouldn't be here. Which seems so, which is in the, in those moments, like you talked about, it's like, hey, you know, ultimately it comes down to uh, yeah, bad things are happening, you know, but but these bad things are being stored up and God's withholding. And actually God, that God is using this moment, this bad thing to turn you to him. Nobody wants to hear that. No. Like, like, and, and that's being honest. While that is, that as sitting here right now, that is an encouraging thing. But to tell the person who just lost, lost a loved one, to tell the person who just got diagnosed with cancer or et cetera, et cetera, 
It's like, hey, we know it's bad, but God is using this to turn himself to turn you to Himself, and it's like, yes, that's so true. But in our in ourself, man, nobody, and and that's the, I guess there's a tough reality to deal with. And here is in that moment, and this is, I mean, for me, when I was when I've dealt with some of the worst times of my life, and someone would come up to me and say, hey, you know, God's God's working on you, God's refining you, all this, and you know what? Like now, it's like, yeah, that's probably true. But man, you don't want to hear that in that no. moment. Like that is not no. like I like you're lucky. The person's lucky I didn't hit him. <laughs> yes, yeah. And and in a believer, there is no more wrath. You realize that when Jesus said it is finished, he had drained the cup of God's wrath for you. Mm-hmm. So every human being who ever lives, their sin is going to be dealt with either one of two ways. Either they will own it themselves, and the punishment for them will be eternal or Jesus owns it and he drained the cup of wrath at the cross. And so for a believer, things are not happening to us for punishment. They're happening to us for correction. And even in the life of my kids, there's a difference. And so what the gospel says is that, yes, you have made mistakes, you have sinned, you have made dire miscalculations in the way that you've lived your life. But God is so awesome that he has been able to balance his justice with his mercy in the cross. Mm -hmm. For that person who says, no, I got this, whether it's I'm going to try to earn my way to God through doing good stuff or through religion, through uh, for those of you who have grown up in church, through sowing my own fig leaves, the response to that is horrible is horrific with just how we and that just is is jarring and i know billy graham's favorite is famous for saying this but the more that we see people and the more we see even sometimes how church people act the 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 i think it was the stat what is it 70 percent three quarters something like that that the the quote billy graham has the but anyway he says this vast majority of people who sit in the pews at church or even would call themselves christians are going to be in a rude awakening when it comes to judgment day and and it just really again tough and, and, and hard to and hard to grasp and everyone's going to say you know did we not again what jesus said did you there will be people who say did you did we not do this in your name do we not do this and that and the other and it's going to say i don't i don't know you i don't know you i don't know i don't know who you are which is man it's just that's that's hard and i i, I hear that and every time someone ever preaches on that whether they do it well or they preach it contextually well or whatever but just to hear that phrase is like man i don't i don't i don't want that i don't want to be part of that and, and some try to apply a, 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 a uh, human morality to God's actions and say, how can God's response to 70 years of sin equal eternity in yeah, hell? And that's something I've thought of is like, okay, well, I look at, though I know, I look at sin, we, I try my hardest to look at sin black and pretty black and white. You know, there's not a whole lot of gray there. Um, and, so, and I would hope a lot of people look at it because it's usually... That, that's usually how it comes down to. Now we'll try to, you know, try to justify for a little gray area there, but it's usually pretty black and white of what wrong, right and wrong is. Um, but but just because it's the way that, like, just because that's the way that I see morality, it's not necessarily the way that God sees morality. And I'm not saying that He sees it differently, but again, from just from that you see what in Eden, there's there's a certain there are so, there's a certain knowledge that I'm not going to acquire that I'm not going to have because again. He's God and I'm not. And so the way that I look at things, 
God doesn't look at things the way that I look at things because I'm not God. And so the way that I may struggle with something and of, of trying to wrap my whole head around why bad things happen, why all these things are going on, why is this happening to me? Why is God doing this, this, that, and the other? It, it's, it, it, it may be a whole different ballpark because just my mind is trying to separate it into category A and category B, and God's not even on the same playing field right. that I'm trying to picture things on. Well, and we don't, okay, to say it's not fair, it's not just that, that an eternity of punishment comes out of 70 years of sinning is a, that's not how we treat any crime. Yeah. Right. So if I'm, if I murder somebody and it takes five minutes, that's immaterial <laughs> to the punishment. That's not, that's not, there, there's not like different categories based on time. That's right. That's not how it works. You know, well, it only took me 20 minutes to rape her, Your Honor. It doesn't, that doesn't equate at all. The, what we do use as humans, the standard that we use is um, what is the value of the person who your crime has hurt? Yeah. So if I, if I were to be bit by a mosquito and kill it, um, I have just taken a life, a, a somewhat sentient life that could un, could look and could could read carbon dioxide way better than I can. I killed that that being, but I'm not going to be punished for it because we place no value on a dog. If right. I kill a chicken and cook it up, there's no punishment there because we don't place any value on that chicken. Yeah, we're just full at that point. If I if I go and kill my neighbor's dog, Uh-oh. well. There's going to be a greater punishment for that because we place value, whether it's moral or not, is immaterial, or whether it's accurate or not, culturally, is immaterial. We place value on the life of that dog. There's federal agencies dedicated yes. to taking care of So of even if the whatnot. dog is strolling my trash every day and the neighbor's not taking care of it and the dog's pooping in my yard and the dog's chewed up the siding on my house, if I just go out and shoot that dog, I'm going to go to jail. And they're going to take all your guns and all that stuff. And again, according to the law, I guess rightfully so because you're not supposed to do what the you don't you can't do what the law says you shouldn't do and so you can't do that but i'm going to be punished more if i shoot my wife mm -hmm. than i would if i shoot a dog because we place more value on another human life right. now again there's i get that there's cultural things and we can bring in abortion and blah 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 but my, you get my gist and so if the value of the person to whom the crime is being committed against is how we determine judgment as humans in our mm -hmm. fallen state then certainly the fact that every sin we commit is a fist raised in the face of the most perfect the most holy the the most high honor being that there is then certainly that deserves a higher level of crime. Yeah. And that's exact. sin by its very definition is defiance to God saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. We treat defiance to the state because it's, again, we could break the, do exactly what we just did with killing mosquito dog wife with, if I tell my kids, here's the rule, don't break the rule, and they break it, then the punishment's going to be, you know, they lose their phone, they 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 don't get to the use of their car. If the state tells my child, don't do this, and they do it anyway, then the punishment's going to be greater because the right. state has more authority. Who has more authority than Yahweh God? Mm -hmm. And so a defiance to him is the highest, right? And you get my point that, that the human standard of, well, 70 years of, of crime doesn't, or of sin doesn't equal an eternity of punishment. It's defiance of a holy God. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so, again, sin 
evil is going to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Let there be no doubt. What you reap, you will sow. And th that can be a really scary promise, or that can be a really exciting promise. And some days it's... I, we, we, I, I, days, I, nothing. I go hour to forth. hour. I go back and forth. Hour to hour, minute to minute. <laughs> hey, right now I'm sowing to good. Yeah. And then the thought that I ha just had about that was pride, and so now I'm sowing to evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so... We see that God's withholding his wrath is not weakness. That is grace. That yeah, is God giving love. people time to repent. That is me looking at my kids thinking, okay, I know what you're doing. You're not getting anything past me. Please stop doing this out of love. And so we don't want justice. As humans, our natural tendency is to want justice for everybody on earth except me. Mm. I want I want that that guy who's speeding to be taken care of. Yeah, I, like in elementary, in elementary school, I, I I wanted to be the tattletale. Yeah, I wanted to be the guy that told the teacher all the kids all the things the other kids were doing. When somebody tattled on me, I don't know what I don't know how. I mean, I don't even know what your repercussions were in second grade, but whatever they were. <laughs> I was going to deal. I was going to dish that out. Yes, I, I was the kid who, when every head was bowed and every eyes was closed, and I looked around and saw somebody peeking, I would go, "He's looking, he's looking," and not see one drop of irony there at all. That's funny. All right, so we see proclaimed that the kingdom of God is overcoming the kingdom of man. Again, the, the statement is, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Justice is being dealt with. And it's just like John when he ate that little book. Yeah. We go, yes, God's kingdom has come. We pray for that every time we say the Lord's Prayer. And as it sits in our stomach, hey, that's not so sweet anymore. Hey. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. And so the elders who we, we said when we looked at those 24 elders before, whether that's 12 apostles and 12, uh, 12 uh, um, the 12 tribes, whether it's the, the Jewish believers, and, and it's really immaterial. It's representative of all who would follow God throughout eternity. Yeah. In fact, of the ideas that we threw out when we were discussing the 24 elders, I really like it, this being like you get four-hour duty and like everybody kind of rolls <laughs> through. Shift. That's right. That's my shift. I'm one of the elders. I got to go. I got to go. go. I'm busy. All right. So they're singing and they're saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. And then this line, uh, I wrote it in my notebook because uh, this answers, to, to me, the problem of pain is answered right here when justice is served and these elders say, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Mm -hmm. death is dead, the destroyers of the earth are destroyed. That is awesome stuff. If you look at history, history seems to be, and especially since history is kind of written about the big players, you don't, you don't read about what the daily life of a middle-class Egyptian was like no. in 3000 BC. No. We know who the pharaohs were. We, and usually those aren't nice people. No. I mean, 
Alexander wasn't really all that great if you were uh, in a person living in India. Uh, no, no way. No bus of Alexander the Great was were being put in people's He's houses. Kind of a jerk. He was a jerk. He showed. Nobody in Russia thought Genghis Khan was a great conqueror. Nobody was reading. <laughs> Uh, manage uh, the management style of Genghis Khan, and then I, don't, I really, yeah, I think there's a very small percentage which nobody thinks he's cool. But even even <laughs> nobody in France was like, hey, you know what? This Napoleon guy sounds like a real sounds like a real winner. Like that didn't happen. No, in France they did. In England, nobody was going. He's but a great guy. Even, I don't. I don't I, but now you look at it, nobody ever is like, oh yeah, what a guy. In fact, did you know that Napoleon wasn't short? Really? Yeah. The reason why we think that he's short is because British propaganda. Uh, I mean, see, yeah, it was yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. was like a sick burn. Yeah, uh, shorty, big <laughs> headed shorty person. <laughs> you just wait. I'm gonna beat you at Waterloo, biggin. Um, okay, that's completely out of nowhere. Um, so, the destroyers are destroyed. All of those people who, for their own power, their own uh, excitement, their own self fulfillment, have stomped on other people now have to face somebody bigger than them. Yeah. And and, in reality, the story of human history in a lot of ways really is no different than the story of a middle school. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are bullies. There are the big players. There are. And those of you who survived middle school learned that the only way to really deal with a bully is to to have somebody who's a bigger kid. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the big brother just showed up, and ain't nobody bigger than him nobody's going to be able to put him in headlock. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to be able to cover No matter how many armies you've got, no matter how much power you have, no matter how often you wanted to tell yourself that you were the king of kings and lord of lords, when you get exposed by the light of Yahweh, it looks kind of like you were a little kid who was playing dress up when your mom and dad were out of town. (laughs) That's such a a vivid image. (laughs) All I picture is e, all I picture is ET in the girls' clothes. That's all I picture when I hear that. But I mean, think about it. If in the light of real majesty, all of a sudden your play games that oh you, uh, you know Ozymandias, uh, Ozymandias, the uh, Cyrus, all these guys who yeah. are like I am king. Yeah. Now when they're exposed to someone with real power, real authority, who can. Uh, not just calm the storm, make new storms. Right. I mean. He made everything. Mm-hmm. He didn't just have all the gold. He made all the gold. It's all his. Yeah. The crown on your head, he made the stuff that made it. So shut up. <laughs> it, it, it makes us in our authority seem pretty silly. It, it's kind of like I had someone uh, that was saying that they felt really, really uh, nervous because they were going to event an event at the Gadsden Country Club. And Part of me kind of chuckled inside. I mean, no offense to anybody. I'm, I'm sure the folks at the Cats and Country Club are great people, but the, I really wanted to say the operative word in that sentence is Gadsden Country Club. <laughs> it's the Gadsden Country Club. <laughs> you're 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 not hobnobbing in Manhattan with, yeah, you're with over, the elite. You're overlooking a chicken salad chick. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, right. like, like, like it's literally it's just like the chicken salad chick is right at the foot of the country club. Like how? <laughs> That's right. It's, I mean, it's not. This, this is not a weekend at the Hamptons, yeah, folks. It's not like <laughs> every man in that room drove up in a truck there's a laundry there's a like right the chick john sick chick there's a laundromat like exactly. in a papa john's like i, I don't I, really know what i joined we're the marine corps at the foot of country club all right 
<laughs> Something I think is really cool. Uh, I think in verse what is that eighteen, the the nations raged and your wrath came. I, again, I see that I, the nations, the the people, and even us, even as believers, there sometimes we want no part of that. We want no, no part of that wrath. Like, and even in like a lot of our culture, even even religion of itself, a lot of people say, yeah, you know, religion's decent. Religion's fine. People can have their religion and all those things. But when it's when it's when that religion turns into a god that rules and reigns and now is coming to judge, we want no part of that team. We want zero part of that. And to see. Again, like you said, that sour, bittersweet taste now try, t- starting to settle. It's like, oh, this is awesome. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold the phone. And, and to see that, that the nations rage, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and for those who fear your name, both small and great, for, and, for the destroying, uh, the, and for the destroying the destroyers of the earth. To see that, again, all throughout history and, and time and all of these things, uh, um, there are always going to be the naysayers and things like that of, of believers, but God is still coming to rule and range. And now we see him coming for all of that wrath that's been stored up is being poured out. And, and, and we, we don't like it. We don't want any part of that, which goes back to, again, what you talked about is, and what we, what we've kind of settled on is uh, when we talk, when we want to take the bad out of the world, bad out of the world, man, that includes us because yes. we, again, we want no part of that bay door opening and all of the things that I've done come pouring out like a hoarder. And, and you know, it, we see in this, and, and we're, we're going to actually read in a few chapters where it says every knee bows, everyone recognizes that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And every creature in the sea, under the sea, in the air, everything is going to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. And so today, as we argue and debate uh, you know, as we open this up with the Ricky Gervaises of the world, the, the dude in the doctor's office, we should pity people who stand at the edge of the precipice and argue that there is no gravity. And not the superficial petty or pity, like, oh, like not the looking down on people kind of pity uh, that maybe some like the passive aggressive Southern culture right. pity. That is what I'm oh, talking about. Bless her yeah, heart. Bless her heart. Not that not, <laughs> we're not, not blessing people's hearts, but the pity again that I think of a few chapters over of all these things that happened, but yet these people still did not repent of such, 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 such the right. pity that hits in my stomach when I think of that, the pity that sits in my stomach when I think of uh, people that I know who don't know Jesus, people that I don't know who don't know Jesus, people on the other end of the world who don't know Jesus, when uh, that pity that hits in, as in, I know who Jesus is, and yet there are still people out there who who don't, and I, 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 I hurt for them, because I don't want anyone to experience, I don't I don't like, if the, if the temperature in my house goes over like 72, I have a real uncomfortable time. I definitely <laughs> don't want some insurmountable amount of heat for each eternity the rest of my life and right. other people don't either uh, all joking aside that kind of pity again i think christians ha- are can often be or even i say christians let me rephrase that church people quote unquote are known for that maybe passive aggressive pity right the kind where we turn your nose up and sometimes we may uh, we have a reputation to be a little bit better than you not necessarily that kind of pity the pity where man you we, we just we want to love you we want you to know that you're loved and that you know jesus and because jesus loves you because jesus gave everything for you that kind of pity where it's we want to serve you because we love you because we don't want you to be in this state that you are i think the church is again again not necessarily north Linco, but the, the big church the people who the the 
fallen people who make up the church, including myself, are, are probably known for that, you know, stuck your nose up kind of kind of pity. And that's not necessarily what we want either. We're not we're not saying we're better than you, smarter than you. As believers, what we're saying is, hey, buddy, that low, deep rumble you hear is a lion that's about to come. Yeah. Let's run. Yeah. Let's fear the Lord and then let him dictate today. Fear him today. Live your life in in the light of the fact that at some point, whether you want to or not, you will proclaim right. that he is Lord. And, and so and the choice you have is either... That being done through your, you praise him through an eternity of punishment or through your white hot praise, as John Piper put it. Mm -hmm. And I love that, that expression that let this be a moment of joy. Yeah. Um, And again, just, it doesn't matter how loudly I scream, gravity isn't real. It doesn't matter how convinced I am that, hey, two plus two may equal four in your reality, but I've got I've got my truth. <laughs> you say that, but if you jump off that 12-foot ladder, guess what you're going to do? Yes. You're going to have two shattered legs because gravity's de- a thing. You're going to determine. You're going <laughs> to lo- know. And so there's knowing, and then there's knowing. And at the ER, you'll know. Yeah. So these these elders uh, fall on their face. They praise the king, and they, they end it with that statement, destroying the destroyers of the earth. And then God's temple in heaven was open. So we shift from the temple on earth, which we were in at the beginning of 11. And then one of these, these shifting phrases that John uses yes. over and over again, you get another shift into something, a, a little something different here. And the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And this is actually the bridge into chapter 12. Uh uh, again, the monk that did the chapter verse delineations, I, I, I wish he had put that that uh, in chapter 12 at the end of verse 19 because we're shifting here. We went from everything that he's seen up to this point was earth-centric. Now we're shifting heaven-centric, and we're going to see, actually, John's about to lay out all of human history from the perspective of heaven, or at least the last 2,000 years of it from the perspective of heaven. Yeah. And so we, we now go back to, to the temple in heaven. We see the Ark of the Covenant representing God's mercy. So we've gone from God's wrath to God's mercy, and um, we uh, there are flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. We're, we're back in the temple, so literally we've had that. And meanwhile, yeah, it's just this weird shift that we keep this circular way of of storytelling. Something I think was cool, and if it's grasping at straws, it's it's, gas, it's grasping at straws. But there at the there at the end there. Um, and constantly throughout this, this chapter, there's up in the beginning uh, or in this chapter of, of, of this section of the seventh trumpet, uh, what is that, in in 15, uh, where it's, it's at, where, where John writes his Christ. And then we come down to 19, where it's the Ark of his covenant. And, and maybe yes. I'm wrong. I, 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 you always hear Ark of the covenant. And, but when I put this possessive spin on it, it's like, ah, oh, wow, that's. That's kind of beautiful in a way yes. that, that, you know, all of the Ark of the Covenant, it was so mysterious and you could, and we worship it, but we can't get that close to it. And only these people can, but then to know that it's his covenant. And then that, again, like you said, is the, uh, a, a bringing forth of God's mercy. And to know that that mercy 
is also the mercy that's been displayed on to my life. It, it kind of, it just kind of, it brings again an extra sense of, oh man, that's just, that is something else that's being, that before was not being revealed, but now is, is being revealed. And again, seeing within his temple, not the temple. I mean, it, it's, it's again, not, it, the temple. not the temple. It's not the temple. It is his temple, which again, it kind of comes along with this, this absolute certainty, this right. absolute power that's coming through this tone here in, in chapter 11. Again, reading that is just like, man, this is another one of those small tidbits is like, this is, this is something that I can find joy in because it's no longer a subjective, the covenant or the temple. It is his temple, the only temple of God, uh, the, the eternal temple of God, the covenant, the covenant that saved my soul, the covenant that's for the souls of all man, all of those things. It's, it's no longer this unapproachable, untouchable thing. It is the, the covenant, Jesus's covenant, God's covenant made with man. Um, and all of those things, all, all those things, again, I feel like that, that wrapping up again, just kind of brings even in more into light, the absolute power and certainty that's coming through and being revealed to the reader here. And, and recognize that for a first century Jew, when, when John brings up the Ark of, of his covenant, what comes to mind is that once a year in Jewish uh, laid out in the, the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, what happens is, is that on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, um, there's a sacrifice that's made to cover for one year the sins of Israel. Mm-hmm. Their sins are put off for one year. And notice here, there's no sacrifice being made on, on the ark. That sacrifice has already happened. Right. And the book of Hebrews, the, uh, the writer there says that the blood of bulls and goats cannot atone for sin. Mm-hmm. The blood of Jesus atoned. Right. And so the symbolism of the ark being seen in the temple is now all of that sin that was put off for a year, Christ paid for the sins of those that would come to him that he claimed as his own and the rest of the sins that have been put off are now being paid for by the people. They're being dumped out on earth. And so the ark standing there is tying all of that together, both the mercy of God and the justice of God, Mm -hmm. both the the wrath of God and the grace of God. And so that ark is so symbolic of all of that. And And there's there's no questioning of whose it is. None. His. So on that note, we will we will shut her down. Um, next week, we're going to pick up with uh, the Christmas story. That's right. Um, my favorite nativity scene <laughs> we will see next week. And so uh, until then, serve your king. Thank you guys again for joining us on this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. You can join us live in person each Sunday at North Plinko Baptist Church at 10 a.m. Or you can go to our website, northplinko.org, to watch our live stream or check out our other podcasts, ministry information, past sermons, and past worship service. Thank you guys for tuning in.